Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. I want to talk to you this morning about trustworthy and true final exhortations of Revelation. You know, today we come to the end of our study of Revelation, and at the conclusion of this study, really the first thing that set on my mind is simply this. What does one say to conclude such words that we've studied that hold such eternal glorious magnitude for us? Well, what do you say when what has been said has been so powerful and potent? What more could possibly be said? I I put it on you. How would you end Revelation? How would you end the study of Revelation? I can imagine how some would end it. Let let me just kind of shape that out for you, if you will. I think some would say this, you know what? We can win this thing. We just got to hold faith and fight. Things will get better and better. And then there'd be some who'd go, you know, don't worry. Be happy. And that's just kind of where they'd leave it. And then there'd be some that go, you know what, things are getting worse. The hand basket is filling up and about to head in the direction it'll go. I want to show you one final look at my master chart. I felt like these were going to be better than that, friends. <laughs> if you uh, track with me, you realize I just kind of laid out the three dominant positions and maybe an oversimplification, far too simple, of their partakings, but I tried to do it to lighten the moment. And it landed like a thud, so I'll move on. (laughs) Here's what I would like for us to do at the end of Revelation. I want us to see that at the end, Jesus is calling us to believe And and that this study should motivate us with a greater awe of worship, a a greater uh, faithfulness and testimony and a a more far-reaching gospel mission for his kingdom. Uh, You know, the last verses from verse 6 through verse 21 of Revelation, a lot of commentators go, well, it's just kind of a, uh, um, or it can be perceived as disjointed, uh, final concluding housekeeping kinds of things. Last things, you've got to say this, make sure you get that in. Oh, remember that, don't forget this, and that kind of thing. But I believe there's a thread where John is bringing back many of the critical aspects that he has taught and driving them home one last time for final words of remembrance from all of the study. And so today I want us to give our attention and walk away with this, that Jesus is the king who's coming again soon. And by his gospel, every Christ follower is called to live ready. Called to live ready. The final words of Revelation conclude with, uh, with exhortations. Exhortations, words that are given to us that, that are command us and compel us to believe and to summarize the whole message that he has taught to us. If you'll remember what started out as an epistle, a letter written to seven churches, now I believe is dialing back in to conclude in the same spirit and manner. And the exhortations that were given to those seven churches are the same words that Jesus would want us to take away as his church today. Exhortations command our attention for how we live today in light of God's eternal word. 
And, and, and each exhortation is formed in this way. There's a declaration that begins, and then following that, there is a, a blessing in two of them, and the third will actually have a warning associated with it, and then it concludes with a final testimony. And so we're going to look at three exhortations today that reveal how a person should live ready for Jesus' soon coming again. And each one will include each of these aspects, a declaration, a blessing or warning, and a final testimony. Let's go to verse six. Let's begin by reading verses six through nine before we continue. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Let's pause there for a moment. May God bless the reading the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. John is told that the words of this revelation are trustworthy and true. That's the first declaration with which the final words begin. And he tells us that Jesus sent his angel. John begins verse 6, and he said to me, that's John speaking, mentioning the angel of the Lord, that Jesus sent his angel to show his servant what must soon take place so his servant would write these words down for all of his people. So we see the intention here of these words to transpire all the way from John's pen or his quill all the way to you and I today. And after hearing these words of Jesus's revelation, here's what I believe becomes most important for us to hear. That these words are trustworthy and true. And what it is that you do with them. In other words, how you respond to them is of first importance for your life both now and forever. Jesus is beckoning the reader's attention when he said, behold, behold, this is a a means of proclaiming something. And what he proclaims is this, behold, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. It's followed then by a blessing or what you might call a beatitude. And we need to recognize that a beatitude is not identical to only what you might consider a transactional blessing. Now, let me explain that. A transactional blessing, I would define in this way, it's typically thought of each time you do something, then you receive something. So there's a transaction, if you will, and, and there are times that this is appropriate, and we see this in the scriptures, but, but rather a beatitude is more holistic and comprehensive. A beatitude declares the reality of God's grace on the life of the one who fulfills in their life what follows it. So when he says, uh, blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, he's declaring a beatitude or a blessedness upon the life of one. Really the, the distinction, and I'm not trying to I'm not trying to dial this in to be nitpicky about the distinction, but I do want you to understand it, that that a blessing bestowed transactionally is really just a one-time gift, but the new reality in which one lives is the kingdom of God 
Everything changes when you live in obedience by faith to the word of God. And that's what he's saying to us. Jesus' blessedness is bestowed on the one who keeps these words, who obeys the prophecy of this book. And so his promise is that one who is careful to believe and obey is one who walks in an abundance of God's grace. Friends, I said it last week. I'm going to say it again this week. This is why we conclude every service prior to the dismissal with the words of God that were intended to be a blessing for his people. Not only a one-time blessing, but the beatitude, the blessing pronounced over us for the way that we would live. The Lord lift up his face upon you and be gracious to you. That second line of the blessing that we say to you. This is what we're saying, friends, that the grace of God for the person who walks in the light of Jesus Christ by faith, the grace of God is continually shining up on them at all times in all situations. But there's a second aspect that we need to consider about this, not only the distinctiveness of the blessed that he uses here as a beatitude, but also what comes just before that. We should consider what it is that Jesus means by soon. Why is this so important? Well, I think a strong argument could be made that the word soon may be the most debated word in all of Revelation. Like, Everything about the way one approaches the book of of Revelation for interpretation is based on timing. When do these things happen? In what order will they take place? And so timing or this soon idea can dominate everything. And what I believe Jesus is speaking of here when he says soon is something that's greater and far more glorious than only a shortened time frame in which we might uh, typically perceive the word soon to be referencing. As in other passages, God's intention throughout the book of Revelation is not to focus on the Greek word chronos, but the focus upon kairos. Now, what's the difference here? Well, I'll tell you the difference. Chronos is the movement or the measurement of time. It's the tick-tock of the clock by which you and I live our lives. It is the hours of the day, the days of the week, the weeks of the month, the months of the seasons, and the seasons of the year by which we measure our life. When we come to one more happy birthday, you've circled whatever it is, whatever the reference is. I'm, my astrology's not that great. You've either gone around the sun, one, yes, that's it. You've gone around the sun one more time. Congratulations. When Jesus says soon, it's not a reference to chronos, that within which we are confined in this life. It's a reference to kairos. What is that? Revelation 5, 6 tells us that while we were still weak, at just the right time, Christ died for us. The point of the word is the perfection or the completion of time. It's not the measurement and the movement, but the perfection of time. This is what we are told in our salvation, and I believe this is the focus of the whole of Revelation. Does it include Kronos? It definitely can, but it's not confined by it. Rather, 
Kairos is the demonstration of the sovereignty of our God who transcends time. And as we've already seen, time has ceased. At this point in Revelation, time has already ended. For the end time has occurred. And so we see that God is working in the way that he works and how it is that we must understand this idea to behold for Jesus is coming soon. We should not be consumed by when. We should not be consumed by when. But rather we must remain diligent to watch. Jesus himself in Matthew 25 verse 13 said this. You do not know the day nor the hour. That's chronos. Watch. Watch. You see, the aim of watching, friends, is for our daily walking. It's not for us to make predictions to know when, but rather it is so that by faith we live ready every day. Every day. That's how we are ready for when he comes again. And so keep the words as he commends to us in order to live in the blessing of God means that we as Christians today prioritize how we live according to his word now so that we live ready whenever his coming again occurs. Jesus is coming again and he calls every person to be ready. His coming will come at a perfect time that no one will have known nor will anyone have expected. They surely will not have predicted it. I have to tell this story. Some of you know in March I was in Nicaragua and another pastor friend and I had been invited by Project Hope, a local mission organization, to come and do pastor training. And we basically, in six hours, did an overview of the book of Revelation. Just so you know, that's impossible. (laughs) But, you know, we were like skipping rocks, just hitting high points and moving as quickly as we could. And in uh, the second day, we had over 100 uh, pastors in the room, and it was, it was, it was fun. Um, every time I got to explain what I believe to be true about how you approach Revelation, a massive thunderstorm uh, broke open with thunder and lightning and rain on a metal roof, and you couldn't hear a thing. So either God didn't want them to hear what I had to say, or he was threatening me. That's kind of the way I took it. Um, didn't change my opinion. I'm just telling you that's the way I took it. At the end of the day, we had taken most of the questions for the Q&A, but we were passing the mic around. And one of the last questions, a gentleman stood up and he's speaking in Spanish. I have no idea what he's saying because we had been using an interpreter, but he turns to the group. And I mean, he rattles off for about five minutes to them and he's intense about it. And then he turns around and our interpreter, who usually is keeping us up to date on what he said, turned around to us and said, he just said, y'all are false teachers. Don't believe anything you've said. And Jesus is coming in 2024. And I thought, well, that last little phrase proves it all. I don't have to worry about defending myself. It will be at a time that no one knows, no one expected, and surely no one predicted But you must be ready because on that day, 
All will know it and none will miss it. That's why it's so important. How one lives ready is revealed by Jesus' word, behold, behold. His call to us to believe what he says such that we live in light of its truth. And John states that he is the servant then who heard these words. And on hearing, he fell down to worship at the angel's feet. Now, I believe that John is recounting an occurrence that already took place in chapter 19 and verse 10. I do not believe that this is a second occurrence, but John is reminding us of what occurred so he can remind us of that final exhortation of what he wants us to remember. And he reminds us of the angel's rebuke and the exhortation to only worship God. Don't worship the other things and surely not the messenger. And so that brings us from the declaration to the blessing to our first exhortation. And it is this, true words motivate fervent worship with one's whole being. True words motivate fervent worship with one's whole being. What a relief to hear words that are true and that you know you can trust. That's a rarity in our day and time, is it not? You see the headlines and the first thing you think is, I don't know if I can trust this or not. Who's it coming from? And number two, is it even true? Is it even true? And if you don't read the headlines that way, wake up. Because they're admitting it. They're admitting it. Jesus says this, my words are trustworthy and true. This is what Jesus says, not what the world says. My words are trustworthy and true. And true and trustworthy words motivate us. They move us from within, friends, to live in the light of their truth. And so Jesus instructs us in the, in the how of, uh, of this, and, and he simply says this, behold. That word behold throughout the scriptures is a commendation to believe what follows it and to worship him because of it to believe what it is that he says and to worship him because what he says is not only true, but it's worthy of all of our trust. And he follows that with keep the words of these prophecies. Keep the words commends us to a faith that obeys. So we have the commendation of this exhortation that we are to hear and believe and we are to trust and to obey. You know, I don't know when this happened. It's been all of my life, so I can't be fully blamed for it, though I participated in it plenty. But somehow in this world, we came to separate the idea of believing as distinct from living. And according to the scriptures, that's just simply not true, friends. You will not deny the things in the way you live that you really believe. That you really believe. If you're going to bungee jump, but you don't believe the bungee's in good enough shape and it might not hold you, you're not going to tie it around and leap off of that platform. If you see a chair, but you don't believe that it will really hold you, you're not going to trust it to do that. Somewhere along the way, Christianity got consumed by believing that we can intellectually attain to ideas and not let them affect the way we live. 
And that's not true. That is as damning of a lie from the pit of Satan and hell as any lie could be. And what Jesus is saying is, look at me. I am true. You can trust every word that I utter. And he's not commending you to an intellectual attainment. He's commending you to a whole life immersion. That the way you walk and the way you talk and what you do because of what you believe is because of who he is. That's what he's saying to you. Friends, worship is not simply activity fueled by emotion. It's not activity fueled only by intellect. It's not even activity fueled alone by volition of the will. Any of these individually are each idolatry in their individual expressions. But fervent worship is obedience that is fueled by beholding the one who is truth. Beholding the one who is truth. The only way that we can faithfully worship God is to be filled by that God so that we have faith in that God to follow him. That's true and fervent worship. You see, any response to Revelation, friends, that doesn't motivate you to worship Jesus stands in the rebuke of the angel. Get up. Get up. When you worship wrongly, when you worship the wrong things, when you worship the wrong things for the right, or excuse me, for the wrong reasons, or when you worship the right things for the wrong reasons, you stand in the rebuke of the angel. It's misguided worship. Worship culminates by beholding Jesus as he fills us with the greater power of his presence. And beholding Jesus in Revelation means that, that we are comforted. Listen, here's our worship, that we are comforted in the face of persecution to persevere, but we are never coddled in the midst of personal sin to continue in it. It's interesting to me as I studied this, what kept coming to mind. That somehow in the church, we started talking so much about the gospel, we've forgotten what the gospel was. Atonement for sin that cleanses and forgives. We just started using it as a buzzword. We put it over our door and slap it on the way out as if God's impressed with that. Some of us have learned to confess sin without being bothered to repent and turn away from it. That's called coddling. Well, God heard me say that. He didn't strike me dead next time I committed it. I must be okay with it. What's happening is our conscience is being seared. We're cutting off the spirit. We're giving lip service to God, but our heart remains far from him. And that's what he is commending to us in this exhortation, friends. That's not true worship. And the angel's rebuke is get up, get up. But in the face of persecution throughout this, he has shown us the sufficiency of his sovereign. And he has said to us, I will be with you. I will comfort you. Don't take the easy way out. Stay faithful. He 
told that to two churches in the first three chapters. Beholding Jesus in Revelation culminates not only in comfort in the face of persecution, it culminates in conviction, true conviction, sorrow, godly sorrow, Paul says in Romans, that leads to repentance. Like you put your finger on the sin, you call it what God has said it is, and you turn away from it to be done with it and walk away. That conviction of the spirit that we are taught in Romans leads us to repentance, to purge sin from the participation in the activity of our life. Yes, we know that in salvation we have been saved from the eternal damnation of sin. That's called justification. We are made right before God in our standing before him. And in this world, we are in the process of sanctification, becoming more like him. But if you do a study of the word sanctification through the New Testament, it's already a finished deal. You see how time skews our understanding? That what God is going to do in you and of you is already an absolute for you. I am confident of this, Paul says to the church at Philippi, that he who began a good work in me will carry it on to completion to the day of Jesus Christ. There's not an if, an and, or a but about whether one who's truly been saved by God is going to be made fully and perfectly into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And then on that day, the glorification. And when we behold Jesus This conviction is the process not for us to run from God in fear of what he might do, but for us to run into him as our sure refuge as he's been in every generation, as Psalm 90 says, to see the Spirit of God purge us from sin, to guard us against those propensities that are so close and enticing to us of sin, and to flee, Paul says to a young Timothy, of every temptation that might even be the entrance ramp to sin but surely there's one thing it doesn't include redefining what God has already said sin is we don't get that beholding Jesus in revelation culminates comfort conviction and finally courage friends courage to bear a faithful testimony at all times and especially in the face of the threat of persecution you see When persecution got most severe in the book of Acts, in the earliest days of the church age, here's what we find. That those apostles and the early church, every time they were told, you'll die for this, you'll be beaten for this, you'll be canceled for this, you'll be excluded for this. They said, you do what you need to do, but we're going to do the only thing we can do. We're going to preach the name of Jesus. And it tells us that when they bore that faithful testimony every time, they didn't walk away discouraged, they walked away encouraged, stronger than the moment before because they bore that faithful testimony. Why? Because Jesus Christ, by his spirit in you, will always be faithful to provide the strength you need to face the threat that's in front of you. And the glory that you will receive from that will be far greater than the threat could have imagined. You see, friends, worshiping Jesus means we behold him to obey his words as the source and strength 
of our life. It's the source and strength of our life. As I studied this week, a common illustration kept coming back to me about this. It's laser lights. Now, I'm not big into the mechanics or the science behind the laser lights. I just like the wow of them. I'll be honest with you. There's some things I just want to see it. I want to experience it. And I don't need to understand it, right? But laser lights are amazing. Did you know some of the amazing things that laser lights can do? I learned this week is they can levitate things. You know what I'm talking? Yeah, I mean like pick you up off the ground. Let me see you do it to them, right? That's kind of how I'm responding. It's okay. I don't have to personally be involved. I can just watch you do it to someone else. They can levitate things. They move the molecules around is the scientific explanation for it. Yeah. Did you also know that lasers, they, they found now that they can dial them in with such acute precision that they can act like tweezers and actually pick up single atoms. I don't know who he is. Whew. I'm going to quit trying. I'm done trying. We're just going to move right on through this. Just going to grind it out. Pick up single atoms. The s- smallest living organism I believe that's right right like they can dial it in that acutely to choose one at a time that's powerful to me and and another thing that I was most amazed by is they say that in a lab they can dial in a laser light to heat things up to temperatures that equal the core of the sun don't worry I'm not going to touch it and see if they're true I'm just telling you what they're claiming. How are so many amazing things done by laser light? Here's the answer. It's not that complex. It's pretty simple. The more focused the light, the more powerful the laser. You see, the laser is distributed light. And when it is distributed in a more condensed and dense form, It combines all that power more closely together to move whatever it is or to accomplish what they're trying to do. The more focused the light, the more powerful the laser. You see, laser light is only as powerful as its focus. If you want to increase the power, you have to dial in the focus. Friends, this first exhortation is telling us to dial in our focus on Christ. To see a greater power of who he is in our life. These are the final words that begin our conclusion of revelation. So I ask you today, where do you need to dial in your faith focus on Jesus? Where do you need to dial in the focus of your life on his word today? You know, the great commandment tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And I think the most amazing part of that may be that one little word, all. Give it all. And this first exhortation asks each of us, are you in your worship of God in the way you're beholding him to believe in him, to keep the words that are trustworthy and true from him? Are you giving your all to him? Verse 10. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. 
Let the evildoer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. In these next verses, Jesus tells John not to seal up the words because the time is near. Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Whereas in the first declaration that was set forth, the priority of these words to give our all by him telling us he's coming again soon, he adds another aspect or component to that. He tells us now the time is near. And where soon adds for us the priority to get our life in line now adds urgency to us. It is near. And though it may seem to espouse a live and let live philosophy in verse 11 there, let the evildoer uh, uh, still do evil, and, and it continues through that. Well, what's taking place really is, is a recognition of the spiritual battle into which this prophecy is going, the reality of what's transpiring in the world. And that there are all kinds of people and this prophecy must not be sealed up, but it must be sent forth into that context. It is for all. It's calling all to hear its message and heed it. And Jesus declares again that he is coming soon and he reminds us of the work that he will perform when he comes and his sovereign authority to accomplish his work. What's he saying here? Well, again, I believe that John is drawing from what we have already looked at in greater detail, but giving us a final reminder of exhortation of what Jesus will finally do when he returns. And the beatitude that accompanies this declaration is that those who wash their robes have access to the tree of life and who will enjoy the city of God for eternity because they've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he also reminds us that all who reject Jesus will not enter the city of God. This is a final reminder, friends. Universalism is a lie. It's a lie. Christianity's eternal reward is based exclusively on one's personal faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work for them. Here's the second exhortation for today. True salvation produces a faithful testimony to one's salvation in Jesus Christ. True salvation produces a faithful testimony to one's salvation in Jesus Christ. The only way a person gains access to the city of God is by faith in the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. 
And in verse 14, that word for wash, it almost seems to commend to us some activity that we have to undergo in order to secure our salvation. But that's not at all what it is telling us. Actually, that word for wash is a continual reminder of the way we live because of what's been done for us. The verb there is in the continuing action form. In other words, the voice in which it is presented to us, presented not as a past completed action, but in a present ongoing action, telling us that the person who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, been forgiven or justified before God, is being sanctified by the Spirit, is one who doesn't cross the threshold of Christianity that we in some way have perverted our understanding of, that once we get beyond it, we're all good. We can go on and God will get us in the end. That's not the gospel at all, but the gospel is the whole household of salvation, friends. That you come into the kingdom of God as a citizen of God in salvation, it changes everything about your life. And that's what he's telling us here. Those who wash, it's an ongoing action that that repentance isn't something that we do initially just to get into our salvation and into heaven. It's a way of living that we live fully surrendered to the one whose worship we are giving only to him and in the way that he has commanded us. And in the rhythm of our living, we live humbly before him, fully dependent on what he has done for us and is doing in us. That's what it means to have life with God in Jesus Christ, a daily dependence and trust upon him, a a daily cleansing from sin's stain and its presence in us, and a daily strength to walk in the light of his word by faith. That's why Christians are not people who claim to be perfect, only forgiven, who know the peace and the joy and the love of God because of his justification by the regeneration of of the Holy Spirit, and therefore we, we stay in the washing, cleansing power of the blood of Jesus every day. Friends, there is an urgency to remain faithful in sharing this testimony, even the testimony that we saw today. It's a dual testimony. It says to God, I know that you have saved me by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know I love you and I want to follow you by faith. And it says the same things to each one of us. The church to be encouraged and strengthened that the work of God that only he can do, that we can never reproduce, continues. And for each one of you who have not put your faith in Jesus Christ to believe in him and to be saved and to follow him in believer's baptism as well. You see, friends, in the study of Revelation, it's telling us that those who are truly saved produce a faithful testimony to our salvation in Jesus Christ. You can't shut us up. Do what you gotta do. We're gonna do what only we can do. Talk about the Lord Jesus and his goodness and his grace in our life. Christians do not allow the what is of the reality of our present circumstances to deter us. But we stay focused on what is near because the faithful testimony for our lives is more important than a clear understanding of the end times. Did you hear me? 
Living ready means that a faithful testimony of your life every day with whomever you are with, wherever you are found, is more important than a clear timeline of the end times. And so I ask, are you washing in the blood of the Lamb daily? Knowing that Jesus' second coming is very near. Very near. Verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. The third declaration is marked by a distinct voice of the Spirit and the bride. This is the Spirit-empowered people of God. We are the bride of Christ, church, and this is the testimony that is being declared by the Spirit empowerment in our lives. And we have one voice, and our voice has one invitation, and it is simply this, come. Come. This is the first invitation of the gospel just before the commissioning that sends us out. The one who hears should come. The one who thirsts should come. The one who hungers, the one who desires, come, come, come. No matter how you are, it doesn't matter what state of living you are in and what the sin of your life has led you so far from God and so dark in the ways of your living. God says, no matter how you are, come. This is our message. Come. No matter where you are, no matter how far from God you have strayed and you have wandered in your sin, the love of God has more than ample to bring you home. The church's voice has come. Come now. No matter how much you've excelled and accomplished in this life, you are not beyond the reach of the need of God. Come. Come. The invitation is paralleled by a warning for any who reject Jesus. They shall never enter the city of God nor the garden with God. And all of this forms our priority with urgency because again, Jesus states that he is coming again soon. Christian, your purpose and commissioning for existence in this world, for why you exist on this earth, is to labor for the gospel, to see this confession, this invitation become reality. The third exhortation is this. True conviction of Jesus' second coming compels a far-reaching mission of our going. When we're truly convicted about Jesus' second coming, it will compel a far-reaching mission of our going As long as the Lord tarries, we shall go. You see, the deeper our conviction that King Jesus is coming again soon, 
the stronger and more unimpeded will be our commitment to go and tell. As long as his second coming is not a big deal to you, your going will never be that important for you. As long as his second coming is not believed by you to be soon in the concept with which we define the word wrongly, your going will always be put off because another day will be more convenient for you. And the more his coming is low on the scale of priority for you, the less you'll be concerned with any mission that is far-reaching because the further out you will continually procrastinate in your faithful going. Friends, John's words echo the vast invitation that defines the message of the Spirit-empowered church. Every Christian today, our mission is to the very ends of the earth to declare to all people of every nation, of every tribe, of every language and every tongue, come, come. Church, God's word is trustworthy and true. Is your life dialed in and focused to behold Jesus with your whole being, all of who you are? The time is short. Do you sense the soonness of Jesus' coming? Our commissioning is clear. Do you feel the nearness of his return? The Holy Spirit is sufficient. Don't let the world's lies distract you, nor the enemy's threat deter you. Don't even allow your friends mocking to cause you to stop. The harvest fields are ready. Do you sense an urgency to tell the world, to invite your neighbor, your friend, your family member? He's coming soon. Friends, the Lord's promise is real. Is his second coming the priority and the urgency of your life? All of it. Revelation is not about knowing the time when he will come, but about testifying that the time to trust Christ is now. Today, Christian, behold Jesus with a greater focus. Dial in every aspect of your whole life to live ready. I exhort you today to trust more than ever before. Where you said no to the Lord, let your life declare a yes where you've ignored him before, rise up and walk today by faith, where you've remained closed or hidden from God, open up your life to trust his wonder-working power to cleanse, to heal, to redeem every part. I exhort you today to love more than you've ever loved before. Love people that you've stopped loving for whatever reason at some point in the past. Love people that you've never loved before and love people that you've never even wanted to love before. Why? Because you know the love of God will be manifested in you to even be able to do that. I commend you to serve to do more than ever before. Serve how it is that God has gifted you by his grace to empower you in the gospel. Serve where the need arises because God is at work there in ways that you've never dared to even try before and to extents that you've never dared to sacrifice before. 
when you live ready by priority and urgency for King Jesus' second coming, these will be the very traits that mark our lives for his lordship. And so I say, life point, let's tell the world about Jesus and invite everyone to come. And let's begin now with whoever it is in your life that needs to hear from you today. Jesus is the king who's coming again soon. And by his gospel, every Christ follower is called to live ready.